Yeah. First, I would say whatever books or podcasts or blogs you're consuming that are making you feel like garbage, get rid of them. (laughs) So return them to the library, unsubscribe from them, take them off of your favorites list. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Lindsay Brian Podvin, founder of Mind Money Balance and author of the brand new book, The Financial Anxiety Solution. Lindsay is doing incredible work in the area of financial anxiety in the quickly growing field of financial therapy. She was actually the very first financial therapist in Michigan, which is such an awesome achievement, and works to combine financial literacy with the emotional and psychological side of money. Now, at first glance, financial therapy may seem like a slightly odd focus for a therapist, Pretty narrow, right? But as money touches every area of our lives, our relationship with money impacts our ability to thrive in all areas of life. Lindsay and I are going to dive into how she came to focus on financial anxiety, why deprivation-based personal finance advice drives us both absolutely crazy, and how you can identify your own sources of anxiety and steps you can take to create healthier money stories. Stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this powerful discussion with Lindsay. You'll also hear about the special offer Lindsay has for Smart Money Mamas listeners who purchase her new book. Or you can get all the details and download our free Healthy Money Mantras worksheets at smartmoneymamas.com backslash Lindsay. And that's Lindsay with an A. So ready, mamas? Let's get started. Great, Chelsea. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, likewise. So you work in financial therapy, which I think is something that's a little foreign to some people. But before we dive too deeply into that, I want to know where your money stories are coming from. We talk a lot about mindset this month. That's kind of our focus. So how did your early life experiences impact your relationship with money? I realized how fortunate I was, and that kind of led me down the current path that I'm on. So by that, I mean my mom mom was really good at narrating the things that she was doing with money. So anytime we went to the bank, anytime we went to the grocery store, she would just kind of narrate what was going on. You know, these are the CD rates, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm depositing a check, and we're taking out money, and then growing up, like once you got your first babysitting gig, you had to put away a percentage of it in your bank account. You weren't allowed to touch it. And that type of messaging just kind of continued on and on. We were also really privileged. We grew up middle to upper middle class. And I think that also helped to kind of shape my reality of my mom constantly reminding us how fortunate we were and the importance of not taking our life for granted. Um, And then that led to me in college kind of swinging in the other direction and trying to like rebel against money and, you know, saying that it was evil and going through a brief hippie phase, as I think most of us are wont to do in college. And then coming back to find a balance for me now and my money story looks kind of like if you have money, it is your duty to enjoy it and spread it out across your community to causes that are important to you. Um, but I make it really important to also include enjoyment in there because particularly as women, we're really good at donating to charities and buying things for our kids, but we're not very good at you know, just enjoying stuff for ourselves. So I try to make sure that that's a plug all the time. Absolutely. And before we did this recording, I got to read your new book, which is just coming out this month, The Financial Anxiety Solution, which was awesome. But you mentioned something in there that was like 
really powerful, which was when you mm. came back to learning about money, you mm-hmm. saw this idea of just frugality and limiting and restriction, which you balked at a little bit because of some personal past. Can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. So in my late teens and early 20s, I, like many people, had a mental illness and I had an eating disorder. And that eating disorder really manifested itself as food being shameful, food being bad, things about my body being wrong or being ugly or being incorrect. And I was working on recovering from my eating disorder throughout my time in college and certainly like into my early 20s. For anybody who's been in the recovery process, the average length of recovery from an eating disorder is about seven years. So I was still in the recovery phase when I started to get into personal finances after college. So after college, I started getting interested in personal finances and the books that were out there, I consumed like crazy because I I found it so fascinating. And like you were saying, a lot of the messages in the world of personal finance, and I, I mean, the reality is a lot of those messages still stand, but certainly at that time, it was all about cutting your budget. It was all about restriction. It was all about spending money being a bad thing, being a stupid thing, being a shameful thing. And that type of messaging, that type of restriction, that type of labeling things as negative or bad or shameful or wrong really rubbed me the wrong way. And it really touched on my eating disorder nerve, so to speak. It really resonated and felt way too familiar. And I immediately thought, there's got to be a better way to do this And I had that thought kind of running through my head for the next decade until I figured out what that meant. Absolutely. Well, I'm very glad that you are recovered and that you made your way through that process and are in a healthier place. Thank you. Um, But I'm curious that as you you kind of consumed all these books and learned a lot about personal finance and developed your own viewpoint, how did that play into your early career? Because am I right in saying that you were originally a social worker? Yes, absolutely. So how did it all play into my career? It's, it's a windy road. <laughs> so I've always had an interest in mental health. I graduated into the peak of the economy right before it had crashed. So I got a job right away doing something that I hated because at that point in time, if you had a bachelor's degree, you could get a job. So I got a job in marketing like immediately after graduating with my bachelor's in sociology. So after that job had ended, I thought, whatever, I'll just go find myself another job. They're passing them out like candy. And that was December of 2008. So as you can imagine, there were no jobs to be had. So then I did, because again, at this point in time, my money story was kind of like, if you have money, get rid of it. Money can be bad. Money can be evil. So I spent the bulk of my money by traveling around the world, which was a very smart decision for 20 something year old me came back and got a job serving and bartending and continued to be called to mental health and ended up going back to graduate school to get my degree in social work and specializing in mental health. And then went on to practice pretty traditional therapy, mostly working with people who had diagnoses of anxiety or depression and money stuff kept coming up. And as a social worker, you are not really trained to talk about money except for 
resourcing people with help. So if somebody came in and said they were stressed out about money, my options were really limited to how does that make you feel, which isn't super helpful when you're stressed <laughs> out about your money. You're like, I'm freaking thanks. No, oh, what do you think? How do you think I feel? Um, or the other option was here, let's call an 800 number and see if we can delay your bill by a month. And that just didn't feel right. I had these people who were sitting in front of me who were comfortable and vulnerable and feeling safe enough to bring up money. And I didn't feel like handing them an 800 number or asking them how it felt was enough. It felt like a disservice to me and to them. It felt like a disservice to me because I feel like I had the knowledge, but I didn't know how to give it to them in an ethical way. And it felt like a disservice to them because I knew that they were going to go home and Google and find a bunch of restrictive budgeting information. Yeah. So what did that, so you, you definitely wanted to help people in a different way. How did you start to branch out and find other ways to help your community? Let's see. So first, I would say how a lot of people do, just talking to family and friends and offering them tips and becoming kind of that go-to person. So when somebody would get a job, they would call me and we would look over like their benefits package. We would talk about like what negotiations might be available. Um, If somebody was moving somewhere, we would look at renting options and try to find things that made the most sense from a financial perspective. So it started really close to home with friends and family and getting the feedback of like, hey, thank you for explaining that to me in a way that didn't make me feel like an idiot or thanks for explaining that to me in a way that I could actually understand because there's this other disconnect in the world of money, which is talking way over people. We either, a lot of the personal finance jargon is either you're being talked down to, like, how are you so dumb? Why are you doing this wrong? Or it's like way over your head talking in jargon that just isn't accessible. So once I started to get that feedback, then for sure the, the, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I had that desire definitely pick back up. The light bulb lit up there. There we go. That's exactly it. (laughs) So now you're in this new area of therapy that's growing really fast, which is financial therapy. So can you explain what is that? What does that mean? How is that different from a traditional therapist? And like maybe give us an example of the issues faced by your clients. Yeah. So financial therapy is exactly what it sounds like is what I try to tell people is to not overthink it. It is therapy for the psychological and emotional side of money. And if you pause for a second and think about it, it'll make sense to you because we all have some sort of psychological or emotional response to money. And my job in my work with clients is to help them explore what's going on in their relationship with money and help guide them to a place where they feel comfortable and empowered and safe in their relationship with money because it's a tool we have to interact with almost daily. And my goal is to help people feel really good about interacting with it. That's huge. And I think it's so funny. We, I was telling you before we started this recording yeah. that I was on a Facebook Live and telling people about that we were going to do this interview. Mm-hmm. And at first it seemed foreign. And then I asked them like, what are ways you feel financial anxiety? And we got so many answers and so many different answers. So that's yeah. that's actually one of my questions. I think a lot of us feel some shame around mm-hmm. our money anxiety. What do you think makes your clients finally take the plunge and come to you? And, and how would you encourage other people who are feeling that anxiety to reach out and get help? 
Oh, in terms of how they finally take the plunge, I think it just depends. What I would say to anybody who is listening is if you feel like you have tried to kind of go it alone and make some progress and you're not feeling much better, it might be a good time to reach out and do some financial therapy or at least do some financial therapy like work. Um, And you touched on something earlier, which is that anxiety manifests in different ways. Anxiety is a healthy, normal emotion to have. And in our country, I think we don't allow people to feel things aside from happy. If you feel anything beside that, you are told, like, what's wrong with you? We're in the greatest country in the world. You should be smiling, blah, blah, blah. So when people feel a normal, healthy response like anxiety, they get tripped up. And then, of course, there is unhealthy anxiety or chronic anxiety, which makes it difficult to function. But I first just want to let the listeners know, like, if you've experienced anxiety, good, like, you're human. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm someone who struggles with with bigger levels of anxiety, but I think it's just like... And that was part of my process in getting treatment was realizing that I was never going to fully get rid of it, right? Like that that there has to, it's more just getting comfortable with normal levels of anxiety and identifying when I was being needlessly anxious. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely always part of our day-to-day lives. So I'm curious, when you made this switch into doing financial therapy, you said you you started your transition by talking to family and friends. Mm -hmm. Did you have any experiences talking about more the emotional side of money with your family and friends? And did they have any questions about you making this transition? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm not, I, I don't think I really talked to them about the emotions, but I heard it coming up from others. So I didn't like really volunteer how I felt about money. Now I'm a little bit better at that. Uh, but I could hear in people's voices, like the shame and the anxiety and the worry around money. And that had me going like, there has to be an overlap here. There has to be a better way. So besides your book, The Financial Anxiety Solution, is there other, are there other places people can go and read more about this and get a better understanding of like where they might be getting some overlays that are really just like our money stories playing into our anxiety? Yeah, there, I mean, there, as you mentioned, financial therapy is a growing field. But I think for people who are more in touch with their physical selves, sensory motor work is a really good place to start. And Barry Tussler wrote the book, The Art of Money. And she is one of the kind of founders of the financial therapy movement. And as you've read the book, you see that I probably quote her a few times or point out her work a few times, but I think she offers it in a way that is very touchy-feely. And for those people who aren't very touchy-feely, that's okay too. I would just encourage them to get comfortable with that notion that you express, which is like, it's okay to have feelings. And the goal is to dial them down so that they are manageable and know when they're getting to be unbearable and implement some coping skills when they do. Absolutely. Getting more in touch with how we're feeling is is such an important thing. So you you kind of started to see the threads of this, right? In the social work and with your family and friends, but obviously until you're doing the work, you're not figuring it all out, right? So I'm curious, what is something that's been surprising about your work since you've gotten started? Not surprising to me, but surprising to a lot of people is my clientele. So when I first said I am a financial therapist, Almost everybody jumped to the conclusion that I work with people who are struggling with mismanagement of money. And what I found, and again, it could be the demographic in which I'm in, I'm in a highly educated college town in the Midwest. 
Ann Arbor, for those of you who are like, where is she? Where there's a huge degree uh, or a huge percentage of people who have college degrees, master's degrees, et cetera. But I found a lot of people who were high income earners coming in with a ton of financial anxiety. Am I managing my money right? Do I deserve to have this type of money? Am I allowed to enjoy my money? Why do I still feel bad if I have money? So interestingly, not really to me, but certainly to people I talk to is this idea of how could somebody who has money still have anxiety about it? And that's been a big surprise. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think so. My background, I worked at a hedge fund, right? So lots of high, high earners, right? Yeah. Um, But financial anxiety was prevalent because I think a lot of those big careers and when you're chasing dollars, you start to associate your net worth with your self-worth, right? And then there's all kinds of anxiety of like, how much money do I have? Do I have enough? Am I doing the right things? I I could totally see how that would happen. But I'm curious. I mean, you worked with, so social work would be more people who are really struggling day to day, right? And then obviously your clientele today is different. Mm -hmm. How does treating financial anxiety look different in those people, right? Because obviously if you have money, This is really a mental thing, right? You got to fix your money stories. Whereas if you don't have money, there's like a real day-to-day difference. So how how do you Mm -hmm. treat those things differently? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head in that one is very, very much a money story and one is a reality plus a money story. What I have found to be interesting and research has backed up is that people who are on either end of the income spectrum talk about money a lot. So people who are in poverty or who are close to poverty talk about money a lot and people who are high income earners or high net worth folks talk about money a lot. It's the people in the middle who really don't, which is fascinating to me, right? It's rude to talk about money. It's impolite. You shouldn't talk about it. So that was one thing that was just interesting to watch kind of play out in my work. And that's the other piece that is tricky when you're addressing financial anxiety, because financial anxiety is a very, what you're getting at is that there are very real consequences if you don't interact with your money. And in traditional anxiety, what we're typically doing is saying, okay, let's look at it with logic. What are the odds that this really scary thing is going to happen? Well, the odds are probably that that bad thing isn't going to happen. Okay, that's an irrational thought. Let's move on. But to your point, with financial anxiety, you can't just go, okay, I'm anxious. I'm going to turn down the anxiety and move on. You actually do have to interact with your money at some point in time. So it's it's adding an additional level of things when you're engaging with clients. And, and like you were saying, it, it definitely looks different on either end of the spectrum, but it's an additional layer that you have to think about when you're providing financial therapy. It's not something you can just avoid, right? It touches no. every element of our lives. Every. Um, which is such is it's such a powerful and amazing thing. And I, I think it's funny that the research suggests that the people on the low income stream talk about money and the people on the high income stream talk about money. Yeah. And I could there's so many reasons I could see that manifesting and I'm not yeah. familiar with the research, but like yeah. I hear that and I think like, okay, if you're middle class, you might think I have too much money to be complaining about money because there's people with yes. jobs. Yeah. And I don't have enough money to have the clout to talk about money. So I'm just yes. gonna be silent. Yes. Um, And then there's the flip side. I'm curious on your thoughts on how it keeps people middle class, right? Like when we're afraid to talk about money, when we're afraid to talk about salaries with our peers, 
it's harder to ask for a raise to know what you're worth. And that that silence really helps the uber wealthy, right? But it doesn't help us move up our wealth structure. Do you see that at all in the research or in your own experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. One benefit about people not talking about money is that people who are in charge of a lot of things that might be financially related, they get to keep their money when people don't know what's going on. So, I mean, to be a little bit conspiracy theorist here, there is a reason why a lot of middle-class folks are in the dark. It's been working out for the system, for the man, whatever you want to call it, to keep people in the dark and to not talk about this stuff, right? So I can't remember which state most recently passed it, but they are no longer allowed to ask about your previous salary in a job interview. And we know that the benefit of that is because a lot of employers will say, oh, well, you made 50K there. We're going to give you 52. See, that's a big raise. And the person who's going in for that job interview doesn't know that they would have happily paid somebody 70 grand to do that job. So yeah, the more we can talk about money, it's like anything else. When we don't talk about something, stigma gets attached to it, right? And it becomes scary and dangerous and taboo and not okay to talk about. And thankfully, we've seen a lot of taboos start to kind of come out from underneath the shadows, right? Over these past few years, the Me Too movement has really picked up steam. I would say being in the mental health field, I would say over the last like 10 years, we've made a ton of progress in the world of mental health. Is there still work to do in both of those arenas? A thousand percent. But I also think that money is the taboo that we really need to start talking about. And that's why your platform of like waving the flag and the banner and saying like, hey, we have to talk about this if we want to be smart for our families and as women is so important. I appreciate that. And it's uh, we talk about all the time right in this community, which is women and moms, that those laws that are being passed that you can't ask about prior salary is helping close wage gaps. It's helping mothers who are coming back in the workforce and their last salary might have been four years ago that they've missed out on raises and changes. Um, So that's a huge positive, uh, positive change to legislation for sure. Yeah. So in the second half of this episode, I want to talk about how financial anxiety manifests and the different ways we can start to handle it. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break uh, from our sponsors who made this episode possible and we'll be right back. Today's podcast is brought to you by Debt.com. One of my favorite things about Debt.com is that they remove the embarrassment around getting out of debt. If you're feeling overwhelmed by monthly payments or balances, but don't know who to turn to, Debt.com can match you with the perfect, trustworthy debt solution provider to help you create a debt freedom plan and build a strong financial foundation. You can learn more by visiting smartmoneymamas.com backslash debt or by calling their free support line at 844-462-8280 to discuss solutions for your unique situation. That number again is 844-462-8280. Debt.com for when life happens. Awesome, Lindsay. So we've talked a lot about like how financial anxiety is just a reality for a mm-hmm. lot of us. And it's about dialing it down and finding our finding finding our tools to to handle it. But I think so many of us think of anxiety as that like nervous, shaky, don't know what to do. But in your book, you talked about how there's other physical ways that we can identify anxiety coming up. Can you talk through some of what what we might look out for? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anxiety for sure can be the nervousness and the shakiness, and that can show up in a lot of people. But anxiety 
shows up not just in our physical selves, but also in our emotional selves and in our thoughts. So it can be jumping to really big conclusions, jumping to worst case scenarios. It can be kind of talking down to yourself that you're not as smart as you think you are. You'll never be able to understand money. It can be a lot of those self-limiting statements and those self-limiting beliefs that can come up within financial anxiety. It can come out Um, in terms of behaviors as avoiding money, as procrastinating around doing money-related tasks. It can come out as like frantic energy. It can come out as like trying to distract yourself. I mean, the pot, I mean, I want to say the possibilities are kind of endless, but they really are. It can show up in so many ways besides just being nervous. And is there are there any good ways to start to figure out how we might be manifesting that? Like, obviously, everybody's different and there are a million different options. Yeah. But should we be journaling? Should we how do we identify where where our anxiety comes out? Yeah, I would say there's two ways to start identifying it. One is the physical and then one is the cognitive or the thought. So physically, if you're going, I don't know what it feels like to be anxious. Think about the last time you were feeling a little bit on edge or a little bit uncomfortable. For those people out there who are type A's and really like to be on time, think about the last time you were running 10 minutes late somewhere. (laughs) And then dial into that feeling and go, what was I feeling physically? Oh, I was feeling really sweaty. I was feeling like almost dizzy in my fingers and in my toes. I was having difficulty breathing. Those would be good signs of like, that's how my body tends to manifest anxiety. When it comes to the thoughts, it's that same thing. So what were the thoughts running through my head when I was running 10 minutes late? The thoughts were, oh my gosh, everybody's going to hate me. They're going to think I'm so irresponsible. The thoughts are, I'm going to lose this job promotion or I'm not going to get whatever it may be. So checking in with maybe a non-money related thing to try and get a sense of how your anxiety is. And then notice how it feels when you're doing a money related task. So Say you want to log into your bank account and just make sure everything looks okay. Noticing how you feel physically as you're typing in your username and password, noticing what thoughts are coming up as you're looking at that balance that's in that checking account or in that savings account. Those can all be really good hints about what's showing up physically and cognitively. So I'm interested as you talk about this, how much it's just awareness, right? And paying attention to our thoughts and how we feel. And I think... Our society has gotten really far away from that, right? We, we're going too fast <laughs> and yeah. we want to ignore the emotion. We want to think we can outlogic everything. Yeah. So what are some steps we could take to learn to reconnect like that, right? To slow down and make sure we're, we're making those observations. Yeah, it sounds so boring, but it's just breathing. That's like the very, very, very first low-level thing you can do is check in with your breath. Um, In the book, I kind of offer a grounding exercise, but an easy way to think of it is just playing I spy. So literally breathing in and out and counting out, out loud, like five things you can see. So right now I'm sitting in my office. I can see my glass of water, my phone, my laptop. I can see Chelsea on the screen and I can see my dog on the couch, right? So just doing that to take yourself out of your head, to put yourself into the moment and to reconnect with your breath because you cannot function and make rational decisions when your head is spinning out of control and when your body is off the rails with anxiety. So first, just kind of coming back to that breath. Yeah, I think that's why we're seeing this growth of all these meditation apps, right? But they make us start at 
two minutes because we, we're so not used to just oh, sitting so quietly hard. for two minutes. It's so hard. Yeah. And I will be the first to admit, right? Like it takes practice and there are going to be certain days that are easier than others. And that's okay too. That's totally, yeah. It's You mentioned earlier talking about Barry and, and that people who are a little more physical and willing to open up to that stuff and who aren't. Mm-hmm. I was definitely in the not realm for a really long time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, my mom would ref, not refer me to anything that could co- possibly be co- constituted as woo-woo, right? Um, yes. But once I started building a meditation practice, it's like my favorite part of the day, right? It's only five yeah. or 10 minutes, but it's so yeah. important. It's so important. Yeah. And speaking of that, uh, in your book, you talked about recalling mind-body stories. Um, and we've definitely had guests this month talk about how our money mindset comes from way back in childhood. So can you walk us through what are mind-body stories and how do we think about them? So a mind body story sounds to your point, Chelsea, a little bit woo woo, but it is checking back in with those memories about money. So earlier, you know, Chelsea, you were asking me about some of my money stories and I was telling you about what it was like being with my mom at the bank. So a mind body story would be taking myself back to what it felt like when I was in the bank with my mom. Do I remember holding her hand and feeling a lot of nervous energy? Do I remember looking at the teller and he gave me a sucker and it felt really happy to be there? Do I remember my mom stressing out on the way in or on the way out of the bank and then checking in with my body and the thoughts in line with what is going on in my body and using that today, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I was listening to a podcast several months ago that was actually going through a money book, uh, which was great. But there was a woman on the podcast talking about how when she had to do this exercise of identifying her first money memory, she thought about being in the grocery store and asking for something. And her mom said, my dad only gave me $50. And like that built this lifelong idea that her dad was in control of the money and that men dispense the money. And like until she identified that one moment that she didn't even remember from when she was six. Yeah. She couldn't figure out where all these ideas were coming from because otherwise she was this like powerful feminist woman, right? Right, exactly. Do you hear stories like that frequently? And do you work through these exercises with your clients? Yeah, all the time. So I often get a lot of resistance because to your point, we are not a very woo-woo society. So when I say to people like, okay, like take me back to when you were in elementary school and tell me what was going on. People are usually like, that doesn't matter. I want a solution for right now. I need to fix this very thing that's happening in this moment. And I usually just say something like, that's okay. Like we'll get there. Just, just play along. Just humor me. Right. But you'll get the, the most fascinating stories. So working with a client where they held on to their money and like logically they didn't get why they they were big on kind of hoarding their money and as we kind of dug into it what they found was that in childhood their little money box that they had would store away their their coins that they found from their lemonade stand or money from birthdays had gotten stolen by a sibling And so what they had learned was to put all of your money in the bank where somebody else can't take it, right? So that can play out then. Um, Other stories that would come up are the 
the being bailed out stories of I can just do what I want because on my birthday, my rich aunt Sally is going to come in and cut me a huge check and I don't have to worry. And that manifesting as an adult who wasn't able to really manage their finances in, in a responsible way because they didn't internalize that money story that money would always show up when you needed it. It's that's so cool. I think the flip side, right, of like the the scarcity versus the well, someone will come and save me abundance. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no one money story that we have. Right, right. So moving on, so we so we've come up with our our childhood views of money, and we're getting more clear on how we feel when we feel anxious and what stories we're telling ourselves about money. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you recommended in your book that I think is really powerful is reframing. Yeah. And so how do we, how do we do that? How do we reframe our negative money thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's a way to first just kind of label it and then reframe it. So instead of something like I'm too stupid to understand money, we might go, okay, like what truth is in there? How true is it that I'm just too stupid? I'm, I'm, it's impossible for me to learn things. I'm not able to succeed. Therefore, I won't be able to succeed at money. Okay, well, the reality is actually no. I am a professional woman. I've been able to manage my way to here. I have a home. I've got kids. I've made it through college. I've made it through several promotions. Clearly, I'm a smart person. And then reframing that thought from, yes, money might make me anxious. And at the same time, I know that I'm smart enough to be able to figure out how money works or something to that effect. That middle step, right? So this is when I follow a lot of people that talk about mindset, there's a lot of affirmations, right? Like we're just going to tell ourselves, I'm really good with money. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) And I kind of hate affirmations because if there's no evidence, there's no reason. We're just chanting nonsense, right? So that middle step of checking in of like, okay, is this rational? Is my negative thought rational? Makes that next stage easier to easier to believe, right? Yeah, and I do include some money mantras in the book, but I include the caveat of if this feels too cheesy for you, add a little asterisk at the beginning, add a little disclosure in the beginning, which is I am working toward dot, dot, dot. May I someday be dot, dot, dot. And when I'm saying dot, dot, dot for like a money mantra, it might be I am a good steward of money. So if that feels like too big a jump, saying something like I'm working towards being a good steward with my money. Yeah. Affirmations can work if you believe them and you've given yourself evidence that you can get there, right? If we're just picking it out of the air, that's when I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Right. (laughs) People are like, I'm going to be a millionaire by 35. Okay. (laughs) Right. Right. Me too. (laughs) Great. I'm really excited about that. Okay. So I I like this, the reframing and we're getting clearer on it. And I know that there's going to be some people listening to this that have specific questions, right? They're like, okay, my anxiety comes from X, Y, Z. So we have a couple of sources of anxiety from our community that I'd love to talk you through, even just to get a few tips for these people. And the first is, um, is from our friend Rocio, who she has financial anxiety related to having survived a financially abusive partner in the past Mm -hmm. and having just really taken in the stories he told her about money. So what advice do you have for people who are coming from a place where the people they loved the most we're telling them negative money stories. Oh, so hard. So first, I'm glad that she is out of that situation and is in a safer space. And I'm glad that you just brought this topic up because it's another thing that goes really unknown. And it's one of the bigger forms of abuse that keeps particularly women stuck in 
unhealthy relationships is a partner holding money over them or manipulating money use around them. So when I'm working with a client who's experienced trauma or abuse around money, First, we don't jump into any of the stuff that we talked about today before kind of digging through and sitting with and untangling some of that damage. And that starts with compassion. That starts with saying, that's hard. I'm so sorry that that happened and you are okay, you are safe. And first, really creating a sense of safety. Once that has been established, then you can move on. So for this woman, It might be something like, those were the stories that somebody else told me. Those are not my stories. I'm now in a different space. So kind of doing that I spy exercise. I'm now in my own apartment. I have a job that pays me income that I'm able to survive on. And I am smart and working towards managing my money in a healthy and safe way. So being really, really kind and compassionate and being as logical as possible, because in those types of situations, your mind is definitely going to want to run away with you. And that comes back to that mind-body connection again of what was I feeling when I interacted with money. Well, for years, anytime I interacted with money, there was fear there. There was a power dynamic there. There was shame there. Of course, money is going to be really triggering for you and seeing if we can look at money in a different way instead of it being this power dynamic of it being something that is neutral. Money is just a tool. Money is just something I interact with. So kind of neutralizing the power that that person might have given to money or money might have manifested as. And in addition to being kind of gentle with yourself and and connecting, what's the importance of finding some friends or community members that have good money mindsets um, and that are supportive of you? Oh, it's huge. It is so, so important to find people around you who are willing to talk about money, just like it is in anything else. If you are working on, you know, you're going vegan or something like that, it's really helpful to have a community of people who can give you, here's my PDF of the best vegan recipes you can make in under 10 minutes, right? It's the same thing when it comes to money and money mindset work of surrounding yourself with people who are ready, willing, and able to talk about money, to be open about money conversations and who aren't going to shame you if you've made a mistake. They're going to cheer you on and want to see you get better. So the more community, the better because there's less shame and stigma and it helps with just that accountability and connectedness and support that we all need. Absolutely. I love it. So the next the next uh, situation we have for you is our friend Kelly, who was talking about how she has a lot of financial anxiety around debt, not just the balance, but her ability to pay it and stressing mm-hmm. about the sacrifices they need to make to pay it off and whether yeah. she's limiting the experiences of her children by trying to pay off this debt and, and mm-hmm. restricting some of the expenses. What advice do you have for someone who's really struggling with debt anxiety? Yeah, so they are not alone at all. Um, I actually contributed to a piece that Melanie Lockhart had written for Allure magazine about the link between suicide and debt. So it is a very serious link that people who have debt are more likely to be to succumb to some of those suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. And a lot of people have debt and it's figure outable. It is definitely manageable. And one thing to think about first and foremost is again, that, that idea of debt. And I think Kelly was saying the word sacrifice, you know, this idea of debt being sacrificial, like that gives it a 
ton of power versus saying, what did that debt afford me? It afforded me the ability to live in this community that I live in. It afforded me the ability to have a stable job that has the potential income to be higher than if I hadn't taken on this debt. This debt has afforded me the ability to get from point A to point B in a vehicle that is safe and secure for my family and for my children. So first, just acknowledging some of the benefits that taking on that calculated risk afforded that family and also building in a little cushion for fun. One thing that comes up when a lot of clients uh, are working on a budget is just this idea of like constant restriction, cut, 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 cut. And where can we find ways to save towards things that feel good? And even if you have debt, I firmly believe that carving out 10, 15, 20 bucks to take your family to, you know, the, the cheap science museum or the affordable science museum is worth it. It is worth it to take them to like dollar days at the movie theaters, because those are the types of things that aren't going to cost a ton of money that do provide that connectedness. That's important in a healthy family. And you're also modeling for your kids that you can have a healthy life, even if you have debt, because there's also this weird narrative that if you have debt, you have to be miserable. I mean, she said it sacrificial. Yeah. I mean, we hear some of the biggest financial voices still in the communities are all talking about, you know, debt is dumb and this gazelle method cut everything. Yeah, (laughs) It makes me so mad as well. And and that plays into thinking that debt is a life sentence, right? And that you've done something really wrong. So Guys, if you're feeling any type of suicidal ideation or suicide, we'll definitely have links to resources in the show notes and in descriptions here. I'll let Lindsay speak to, you know, kind of who to reach out to in those situations. But just if you're struggling with debt, you do have options Uh, from a money perspective. I hate how much we have demonized bankruptcy and that Mm -hmm. we'll never get out of it. If you need help, there are ways to get help for that as well to manage your debt um, and that you can you can fix it and you can still live a full wealthy life beyond it, right? There's lots of people who are in the millions and billions of dollars of net worth that have filed for bankruptcy. You're going to be okay. But I'm going to let Lindsay touch on real quick any resources if you're feeling truly at risk of injuring yourself. Yeah, so for sure, the resource I always go to is the National Suicide Lifeline, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 800-273-8255. And then there is also the Crisis Text Line. Um, That one's for like a step below feeling really suicidal. But if you're feeling like you're spinning in the middle of the night, you don't know who to talk to, you can text the word start or connect to 741-741 and you'll be connected to a counselor who can text back and forth with you. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, for those resources. So the last thing before we move into our super fun sorting hat hot seat um, and wrap up here, obviously we touched on two different types of really specific financial anxiety, but what What's the first step advice you have for people who are feeling overwhelmed by negative money thoughts and influences but want to feel better? Yeah, first I would say whatever books or podcasts or blogs you're consuming that are making you feel like garbage, get rid of them. So return them to the library, unsubscribe from them, take them off of your favorites list, you know, kind of do a little cleanse, so to speak, of the things that aren't really working well for you and take it slowly, right? What I often see is people are anxious and then they get this wave of excitement to like get their money in order and then they go all in 
in and then they're overwhelmed. And then because they're overwhelmed, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of money's too scary. It's too hard. I don't understand it. See, I can't do it. So take it like low and slow, choose one thing. And that one thing could be starting to dial into your money story. That one thing could be just look at your pay stub and have an idea of what those different numbers are. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It just has to be a start. I can't tell you how much I love the idea of unsubscribing and getting off of things that make you feel bad. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You were talking about that. And I was thinking about Brene Brown's uh, power of vulnerability. She mentions how she was telling her therapist she felt like she was naked in the middle of a pricker bush. Yeah. She didn't know what to do. And her therapist was like, why don't you get out of the pricker bush? (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, we think we think sometimes that like the things that are shaming us are right. And we have to give them permission to come into our lives. And we just really don't. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. So before we uh, let people know where they can find you and wrap up this episode, I want to invite you to try on our sorting hat. So I am a huge Harry Potter nerd. So our hot seat is a version of a sorting hat. And we have a whole basket of like 20 questions. And we're going to pull out a question and see what it reveals about you. Are you ready? Okay. What is your favorite guilty pleasure for self-care? Oh, I'm a huge Bravo nerd. Give me all the bad Bravo shows any day of the week and any corresponding podcasts. I'm happy as a clam. What's your favorite show? Oh, it's always going to be Roni, Real Housewives of New York. And then I've been getting big into the Below Deck series. And I think because I'm a therapist and I do a lot of like listening and nodding, sometimes it's nice just to see chaos that like I can just like watch on screen. Just let yeah. the chaos happen. That's, yeah. Below Deck's the show about the yachts, right? Oh, yeah. Talk about, like, terrible behavior. It's amazing. So my husband was a yacht captain for a number of years no in New way. York. No way! <laughs> he was. So he has some stories. I that bet. They... I bet. That's amazing. Awesome. So, Lindsay, where can people find you and find your book? Yeah, absolutely. So they can find me at Mind Money Balance. That is my website. That's my Instagram handle. That's my Facebook page. And then in terms of being able to find my book, they can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. Um, and yeah, it'll be coming out real soon here in just like a month. So February of 2020. Yeah, when this episode goes live, Lindsay's book will be recently out. We'll have the link to the Amazon um, in in the show notes as well. And make sure to go into your library. Even if you buy the book, go in and request it so that more libraries are stocking Lindsay's book for the people who need it. (laughs) But Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a powerful discussion and something I think that's going to really help a lot of moms in our community. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. It was awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Mamas, today's topic was such a crucially important one. Anxiety around money is so common, and without addressing it, it is so easy to let those voices drive us further into negative beliefs about our abilities or what we can achieve. Talking to Lindsay and reading her book, I had so many takeaways from my own life and how I can better talk about money at Smart Money Mamas. But here are the three things I think everyone should take away from this discussion. First, financial anxiety is something everyone faces. You're not alone. And in fact, even when you have a healthy, abundant mindset around money, there will be times when anxiety creeps in. It's natural. The goal is to be aware of where those voices are coming from and take steps to ground yourself. Take a moment to question the validity of those thoughts. Like Lindsay mentioned, when you hear yourself saying, you just can't understand money, step back. What about all the other things you've learned and tackled in life? Why is money any different? 
As a lifelong sufferer of anxiety, the best thing I've learned from people like Lindsay is that anxiety falls away when we let the light in. Second, don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, depression, or where to start with your financial journey, reach out to an expert or a friend. Everything you're facing is figure outable, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. You deserve peace, happiness, and understanding, but sometimes finding it requires a helping hand. And finally, find your tribe that will support your healthy relationship with money. Talking about money with people who will lift us up and encourage us when we're feeling anxious is crucial to building wealth. Whether you reach out to a supportive friend or join an online community like the Mamas Talk Money Facebook group, choose to surround yourself with positive voices. And on the flip side, as Lindsay said, don't let voices into your life that harm you. Unsubscribe from podcasts, blogs, Instagram influencers, or anyone that makes you feel anxious or bad about being where you are right now. One of my good friends, Kirsten Saunders, likes to say, if it's not your message, don't receive it. And I just love that. You get to decide what your internal narrative is going to be, and you can build the life you want. Mamas, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, Lindsay's brand new book, The Financial Anxiety Solution, was just released this month. And not only does this book provide insight into what financial anxiety looks like, but it's designed as a workbook to give you the tools you need to improve your relationship with money and manage your anxiety. For any Smart Money Mamas listeners that purchase her book, Lindsay has generously offered to provide a bonus video training on values-based spending and saving. You can claim your bonus by emailing your receipt to lindsay at lindsay at mindmoneybalance.com. The details of this offer will also be in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com backslash Lindsay. Thank you again for hanging out with me today, Mamas. I truly appreciate you being part of our incredible little community. I also want to thank Lindsay again for joining me on the show and our sponsor, Debt.com, for making this episode possible. Keep talking money, Mamas. I'll see you next week. <laughs>